hey? Hello? Hey? Can you hear me? With... Yes, I can hear you. Nice. Despite some uh, technical difficulties we were having in the beginning. Oh, yes. The internet is uh, a bit wonky. It's very rustic, despite being in the city. You know what? These days, after EU directives and so forth, I, th I think that's a very genuine statement. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into some Fraggle Shrugged. Let's get into some Fraggle Shrugged. And have we been waiting for this moment? This is the last chapter oh, yeah. before a third of the book is done. Yes. Last chapter of part one of three is a good day. Although I, I will have to disappoint you. It's not actually a third. It's only 30%. Yeah, I could I could see from the from the times of the audiobook yeah. that we're But we are calling it a third. God damn it. It's a third in my mind. Also because next time we're off for a movie. We've been teasing it for so long and now it's actually happening. I cannot wait to watch a shitty movie instead of reading a shitty book. <laughs> oh yes indeed. But at like at this point my expectations are so low for the movie that I can only be pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, well, that's the that's the mindset you should go into a movie with. Mm -hmm. Just uh, zero expectations of any positive kind. Just yes. blank. I think uh, that's the only way to actually get positively, <laughs> like has, have some positive reinforcement when it comes to Ayn Rand. Oh, yes. We are, we are getting worn down here. We are slowly getting worn down. I can feel my voice actually like ugh, like wearing down. Oh, yeah. Atlas Shrugged will do that to you. Like Slowly make me more and more depressed. I'm just waiting for the moment it kicks in and I actually begin to love this ideology and live by the money. Yeah, it's kind of like a, first the book generates a depression mm -hmm. and then the book becomes the antidepressant. So it's kind of like a, creating a problem only to solve it. Yeah, which is how you make real money. Exactly, very cyclical, and also a bit like um, what's the what's the syndrome called when you fall in love with your oh Stockholm Stockholm syndrome? There you go. It's kind of a mix between Stockholm syndrome and just opioids, just a wild addiction. And I'm still waiting for the opioids to kick in. Yeah, someday soon, in uh, just 600 pages or something. Going to be wonderful. Maybe this book's actually this book would make way more sense to just listen to the audiobook for 50 hours while banged up on opioids. <laughs> Couldn't hurt. <laughs> Couldn't hurt to try. I guess. No. <laughs> I'll just I'll just call my work and be like, yeah, boss, I can't come in to work for the next couple of days. I'm just getting fucked on opioids reading Atlas Shrugged, you know, as you do. That's. <laughs> uh, I think there's a holiday especially designated for that. Oh, there must be somewhere in America. Oh, by the way, I got to get put on my MAGA hat. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Got to get on the right-wing aesthetics. Oh, yes. And I got myself a coffee with uh, cream and whiskey. So almost Ooh. an Irish coffee, just not as, uh, as sweet and uh, unmanly. And I got myself a... Uh, Lemongrass matcha tea. Much more mainly. Mm -hmm. So should we, should we get into it? We can't keep stalling? Yeah, we are babbling. We, we are, we've decided to try to keep this one a bit tight and uh, snappy. So uh, we are already off to a bad start. <laughs> exactly. Already off to a wonderful start. Five minutes in and we haven't even gotten to the meat of it. No. So we will try again 
to see mm-hmm. if we can cut down on the time to do the one-minute summaries to reintroduce those. Oh, yes, it's back. You thought it was gone for good, but it's back. Back by public demand of none. <laughs> that old fan favorite. <laughs> it's back. So will you, will you carry the torch, so to speak, on the Atlas? <laughs> I will lead us into a magical uh, Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. One minute into hell with chapter 10, Wire's Torch. And I'm starting the timer now. Go! Okay. The chapter has Dagny going on a wild goose chase where she has to find the man who made this magic motor she found last time around. She quickly ditches Hank Reardon because he's bad at it and then she just talks to weirdos for 40 pages until she finally finds, finds the king weirdo on top of a mountain. Uh, Hugh Axton, the lost philosopher from chapters back, way back. Um, that's pretty much what happens and then uh, she doesn't really find out anything in particular but at the at the end more legislation is passed making uh, making all sorts of train service uh, um, against the law and then Alice Wise flips his shit and just sets fire to all his oil mines and uh, or not oil mines but all of, yeah whatever um, and then leaves and, and yeah that's it Almost on the time. Yeah, I. There, so little happened that I was actually just adding more details than I had to, which dragged it out. Uh, so, so as a real Iron Randian, adding more details <laughs> where it is not needed. Yeah, and just dragging out to meet a maximum limit. Um, yeah, I could have done it in thirty seconds. It's that kind of chapter, uh, forty-three pages. Could have summarized it in 30 seconds. So that's basically uh, a second a page. Yeah, and that's uh, that's me taking a good good time, <laughs> taking my sweet time. So this is basically, uh, as I said, Dagny is a playing detective. She found a magic motor last time, but didn't find all of it. And she's convinced that the man who made it is somewhere out there and just waiting for her. So she's... Uh, going out and searching for him. But because she doesn't have the internet, she just has to talk to weirdos all around the country instead of doing her job and <laughs> running a train line. As you do, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so she finally finds this guy. We, we heard about him way back. And now he's a fry cook on a mountain because he supposedly knows the guy. And everybody's just tiptoeing around the fact that it's obviously John Gall who made the motor. I don't know if you have figured that out. No, yet, what a spoiler! Yeah, big time spoiler. <laughs> I mean, but who is John Gold? You know, I have no idea. He's definitely not a guy making motors. Definitely not the magical Deus Ex Magna element in this story. I will just pull out some bad like uh, hints at who who is this uh, guy. Mm-hmm. Things nobody ever says. Like, he, an engineer, quit the day after we introduced the plan. He was the second man to quit us. No, no, I don't remember who was the first. He wasn't anybody important. Don't worry about the first guy. Don't, don't, don't think about it. Don't yeah. think about it. Red herring, don't think yeah. about it. And uh, you have three students who were your favorites and three brilliant minds from whom you expected a great future. One of them was Francisco D'Anconia. Another was Ragnar Daniskjöld. Who was the third? Ah, his name wouldn't mean anything to you. He's not famous. Don't worry about it. It's it's so obvious. It's 
so fucking on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> Salty, thy name is not Ayn Rand. Nope. But that that's basically this uh, this chapter, right? Yeah, we spend basically all of it just hanging out with Dagny as she talks to weirdos in a big, long montage. And then at the end, we have uh, just suddenly a new law once again. It's becoming a pattern. Just a, a bad law passes. And uh, then Ellis White just flips out and <laughs> sets fire to his oil uh, refinery and disappears. What are you talking about? That's the completely rational way of handling a conflict, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Especially because... Did you did you catch what the conflict was? What the horrendous thing that happened to him was? Uh, no. A 5% tax. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so at that point, like making ninety five percent profits, it's just not worth it. Just to burn it's, it down. It's, it's evil how they just basically kill this man. Jesus! <laughs> no, I did not catch that. No, it was it was subtle. She kind of rode around it, so, yeah. sort of sort of saying it, and then just waiting a few paragraphs and saying, "Oh, by the by, these laws, it was terrible for him." <laughs> I had to go back and check. Oh no, that's all no. that happened. Five percent taxes. Like, I wonder how much Iron um, Rand's head would implode if she came by Denmark today. Oh, the people state of Denmark. Yes. <laughs> and I, this Ellis Wyatt, you know, he leaves a note saying that he leaves his property as he found it. And I highly doubt that it was a fiery inferno when he found it. Maybe it wasn't. Like, I suspect that the hill wasn't on fire when he came. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he kind of flipped his shit. Mm. Also, but we're go- we're going back to that later. We get a wonderful Lillian Reardon scene. Yes, just teasing that because we are getting way deep into that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think uh, just just hang on, dear listener. It will get. Interesting. And on that note, should I continue with uh, my take at a one-minute summary of the Fraggle episode? Yes, let's just get the summaries out of the way, and then we can pull out some uh, bits and pieces of interesting uh, stuff. Yes. So, are you ready with the timer? I will. Uh, I will start a timer. I have it here. And. Go. The episode is episode number 10. It's called Don't Cry Over Spilled Milk. We have Gobo who wants to try to get a postcard in the room. But when he is in there, uh, Doc boards up the hole, trapping Gobo in the weird, weird human dimension. So the others look to save him. They get kind of depressed, sing a long song about how depressed they are. So Red and Wimbley go to the trash heap and find out that her magic is the saying Don't Cry Over Spilled Milk, while Boober and Mookie steals a catapult from the doosers and actually use uh, Boober as the firing uh, for the catapult because he trips over the uh, spilled milk that they almost do uh, cry over. So everyone kind of saves the day. And meanwhile, uh, Doc flips his shit and is reinventing music in the badassest of ways. And uh, Matt makes some coin-eating friends with five seconds to spare. Yeah, I had five too. It's uh, it's nice with some uh, some easy to summarize stuff once. Yep. Because last time we tried this, it was just 
so much plot to get through that it was physically impossible to say in a minute. But this is just right ahead, breezing ahead. Yes, it, it, it was. It was a good episode this time around. I feel like it, it was. A, it was a bit of a slow burner. Yeah, um, but I kind of appreciated it. Both of them were were taking their time, but uh, something. Uh, it's. I mean, it's by complete coincidence because. Um, this Fraggle season is 25 episodes long. Mm-hmm. This is not any kind of ending. But it does have that kind of finale vibe because in the first episode, Doc teases, oh, I'm going to board up that hole someday. And this time he boards up the hole. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fitting for us ending uh, what you would call season one of this show. Yes. Part one of the book with sort of like a big climactic, but also... Uh, kind of introspective episode of Fraggle Rock. Mm-hmm. And, and because we were kind of talking about when we take part two of the book, that we jump to the second season um, to see if the if the Fraggle Rock universe have changed. Yeah, because we could go all the way through the book and just get into the beginning of season two, but that wouldn't be that interesting. No? Because there are five seasons of the show, so we should really cover a lot of the ground. Also, like to see if production value changes or if... Yeah. If anything else. Uh, so maybe even jump to season three. Yeah. And then season five for part three. Yes. Just to cover all the... I think uh, it's interesting because, of course, you can see these out of order very easily. But mm. there was some weird thing about... We were going to the trash heap this uh, time around. And we've been seeing the trash heap for, what, four or five episodes or something like that? She's been like quite yeah, she's prolific in the episodes. Thankfully. Uh, but it feels... Kind of like an introduction because they introduce her as a character in this episode. Like they're talking about what the trash heap is, and when the trash heap wakes up, it feels kind of like the first time they see the trash heap. Yeah, making me question a bit whether these these episodes like maybe are meant in a different uh, timeline. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe this was the second script they wrote, and they thought, oh, better hold off on that uh, big uh, dramatic turn of boarding up the. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, um, there was something about the meeting with the trash heap that kind of made it feel like a pilot almost. But, uh, but yeah, but a nice little episode. And uh, while we get back to the like Doc reinventing the concept of music, Jesus oh, Christ! Yeah. So over over the period of the episode, like it begins with him finding a a thing that apparently has no word. Is that true? Well, it's sort of we all know that thing. It's the, like the, the thing you blow in at a party that says. And the thing comes out. Exactly. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Yeah. It's according to Wikipedia, it has the following names Party Horn, Vuvuzela, Party Blower, Party Pipe, or Blow Tickler. But it's not a Vuvuzela because the Vuvuzela is like the big horn that yeah, was uh, yeah. quite famous uh, for football matches at some point that makes an awful loud noise. So Wikipedia may not be entirely right there for once. No. So maybe we learned something, and that actually this, yeah. this party horn doesn't have a name. But I I like uh, Doc's uh, suggestions, mm-hmm. and I think one of those should be the name Tumcordian, Thumaphone, or Pucarina. <laughs> Pucarina, I really like that. Like instead yeah. of an ocarina, but a Pucarina. Yeah, let's uh, let's uh, take a vote and uh, decide that that's the name. So 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 he starts off with this Pucarina, uh, blowing in it. Uh, actually, again mistreating that fucking poor dog just waking (laughs) waking sprocket up in the middle of his sleep just blowing loud stuff in his face 
Um, <laughs> as, as the fraggles look in while they're going to get the postcard, it, they just seem dancing maniacally and blowing this thing into the dog's face. <laughs> disturbing <laughs> but during this episode he like i think this is the episode where he finally flips his shit which is kind of um a parallel <laughs> i guess <laughs> to the to the atlas shrug chapter with Alice white because you just see dark so he's, he he begins off with one of these and then he finds out that he can attach them in a, in a weird way to so so he can basically make uh, an entire um like cord of them yeah it's like a weird organ Yes, type thing which just but sounds then, horribly. Did you catch that he he talks over the phone with someone where he where he pitches this weird like organ he made out <laughs> yeah. of par- like party stuff? <laughs> and <laughs> I have the quotas. Uh, yes, as a, one of the, I think it's one of the best sentences. Uh, because the, 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 like this person, he tries to pitch this idea to the person, and and the person clearly tells him that he's insane or mad. <laughs> uh, so so he just hangs the phone up on the person because he's like, no, you don't get. It. And, uh, <laughs> just don't appreciate my genius. Exactly. So, so during the episode, he gets this instrument becomes more and more intricate until he makes <laughs> literally an entire organ with like confetti <laughs> and a and an, sick ass beat. Yes, an entire like trump like trombone or like it's fucking crazy instrument and uh, the fraggle actually loves it like he begins dancing several yeah times to the instrument. even when it's just the the pipe thing to go bleh, 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 bleh. Yes. and gobo says uh even a fraggle in trouble likes good music and i i question his taste there but i just love that we end the episode with doc playing this instrument and laughing maniacally he's not even trying to hold it together okay. anymore he's just completely lost his shit and he says from this moment forth, the piano is obsolete. <laughs> yeah, exactly, laughing. I think we've finally proven that, that the dog's gone insane. He's a very Randian character, I will give him that. Maybe he is Ellis White. Oh, yeah, but I, I noted that uh, his way of building that music thing is exactly how Hank Reardon would behave if he liked music. Hmm, interesting. Maybe he is Hank Reardon. Yeah, at least he uh, fits very well in the Randyverse. Or, dare we say it, is he John Gold? <gasps> is he convincing Scatman John Gold? Oh. The plot sickens. <laughs> so we're slowly like going into the analysis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the deep, intricate connection between the the two cultural icons yeah let's uh should we head into that i think we're all ready there oh so do you have any any more obvious connections both of them center around uh, a dedicated effort to uh to go get a man who has disappeared and they go and people going through various means of getting to him Mm-hmm. That's actually like a, a summation of both. Yes. And uh, Red says that the heap has magic powers, and I thought, is did she make the magic moto? Oh, is the trash heap jungled? <laughs> At this point, anyone could be. <laughs> but on the other hand, that uh, that musical machine actually seems like kind of a magic motor in and of itself. So <laughs> it may just be that that they found in the in the factory. Or maybe one of us is John Gold. 
Now that would be a plot twist. But I would love if part two of the book they uh, finally uh, fix the magic motor and it turns out just to be that musical organ thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Doc, Doc jumps out from a shadow and dances crazily. <laughs> I have reinvented the piano and then he just leaves. <laughs> Who is Doc? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? And now every single train across the Colorado <laughs> will have a crazy organ inside. It's an organ made of red metal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking back on that fucking episode. Okay, okay. Can we address one thing about that? Yes. They never mention it, but it's really dark. Mm-hmm. Because that advice, right? Don't cry or spilt milk. Uh-huh. I mean, the trash ship gives it without hearing what they say, so she doesn't really care. But yeah, uh, what she's actually saying to them is that, oh, forget about Gobo. He's the last cast. Don't cry Ex- about overspilt exactly milk. Exactly my thought. Get on with it. Exactly my get thought. Get on with your life. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> because the way they caught it is basically like them going out uh, I can't remember who is it that discovers that he's gone Wembley comes along and it's uh, Wembley stays in the tunnel yes because uh, when Wembley runs back to the other fraggles after the tunnel has been boarded up he like screams help 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 and they just sing a song about how depressed they are and at that point it's just like oh is this just gonna be a really depressing episode where they're just like nah fuck them we can't do it it's so close also at this point we need to start talking about so the fraggles have on several occasions mm-hmm. showed themselves to the dog right yeah we have traveling uncle matt who on several occasions just straight up talked to humans or were next to humans without anyone yes. batting an eye why is it that they're so afraid of saying hello to the dog um, I, I've speculated on the podcast before that that this is just a, that that fraggles are just a regular part of society outside, mm-hmm. and this is just this tribe of fraggles have been cut off because the hole in the wall got blocked. Yeah. So for for like generations, they haven't been in contact with the outer world. So they think that it's all dangerous and monsters, but really, Doc would just see a fraggle and say, "Oh, hello, hello, fraggle." Yeah. Yeah, they're just like some subset of like Amish. Because I'm sure his mailman is a fraggle. It, it, it might as well be because... Schimmelfini may be a fraggle. Hmm. Also, the way they are like handling Sprocket is that in the beginning they were terrified of him. But now they, they, they kind of have, an, have him under control and can like tease him. Yeah, now he's terrified of them. Also, how the fuck can you be terrified of that dog? But you're not terrified of the monstrous creatures trying to eat you all the time. <laughs> well, I will say they are kind of afraid of the gorks. But they're not like they're not proportionately afraid of the gorks. <laughs> like, no, but you, should... you you fear the unknown. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. I have some overlap because Dagny uh-huh. uh, Dagny takes takes the motor back to the Tiger Transcontinental uh, Terminal building which is, is in the middle of the city, so it's full of tunnels. Of course. And it turns out that there are small side tunnels that are just creeping out and like a whip to the sides under the the building. Mm-hmm. And they are not in use anymore. So she hides the motor in a, like an office ah. thing in a tunnel. And I, I'm so sure that those tunnels are just chock full of fraggles and uh, they're going to tinker with that motor. 
Oh, it's got to be built into a doozer construction, maybe. Yeah, that that might as well be. Maybe the doozers will build the transcontinental line <laughs> for the future. I think they will, but it's just going to be tiny. To be honest, they, they seem more equipped at engineering and building than the lead characters of uh, at Instructor. <laughs> yeah, they built a sick-ass catapult this time around. Yeah, exactly. They're like quite efficient. Now they're weapons manufacturers. What the hell? I fucking love the doozers. Yeah. I hope that I hope like in in season five of the, the Fraggle Rock show that there will actually be a war going on between the two. I think it's very likely. <laughs> Couldn't that be great? What do you think about they they went off to a lunch break at very soon, sort of suddenly? Okay, time to lunch break. Mm-hmm. Which led me to think that they may be unionized. But this is a union-mandated break, yes. which means that uh, our poor Ayn Rand's heart would just be broken that these uh, industrious builders would stoop so low as to uh, unionize How and have rights. Fucking I mean, just dazzling. taking a lunch break, that is a deathly sin in the eyes of Rand, I think. Yeah, yeah, she would not, she would not appreciate this universe. Or she would appreciate it in the way that she would finally have something real to fight for other than, like, what, 5% tax? <laughs> yeah, she'd have a real enemy instead of just <laughs> another straw man. <laughs> I really want, uh, but of course that can never happen, but I really wanted to see what would happen if she saw the show, like how her head would implode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when did she die? I'm, I'm just going to look mm-hmm. that up. But may- she must have some relatives left or something like that, right? She died in 82. Oh, I think that's just mm. too early. That is a bit too early. How she old did she get? She is uh, 77. Oh, okay. Uh, she died in 82 and Fraggle Rock debuted a year later. Damn. Otherwise, I Damn. would make the joke that she saw Fraggle Rock and just died <laughs> <laughs> spontaneously. <Wow. laughs> and here we are arriving at the podcast like it's almost as fate would have it yes um have we about um, have we about reached the end of the analysis section mm, i have one thing more f- about the 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 whole uh, cross thing but i'm gonna save that for uh, for the trashy advice section okay like sort of an extended version of that because i have a big one there nice so do we have anything for the woke section this time around? Uh, it's a mixed bag. It's actually really not bad, this chapter. No? And surprisingly uh, effective. I'm going to give Rand some credit. Yes? Because... Um, that's, that's good for once. <laughs> yeah. The two people actually saying something iffy are supposed to be bad guys. Oh. She uses... Someone saying, like, uh, they can exploit me like a Chinese coolie, which is apparently a laborer. So I think that may be offensive, but uh, it, it's, it's so light that it's, that it's even... Uh, <laughs> it's just casual racism. It's fine. Yeah. But it, that's, this is a guy that's supposed to be a loathsome cunt. So that's fine. That's <laughs> actually appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. And the same with uh, this guy's thinking... Um, he leaned back, studying her long-lined figure. High-class merchandise, he thought. But then the man with her was obviously rich. So this guy thinks of Dagny as property. Mm. But we are supposed to dislike him, so it actually works. For daring to think like that. It's, uh, it's actually 
effectively used. So it's it's terrible when he does it, but when Hank Reardon does it, it's perfectly fine because he's what rich. Or? Yeah, because we're supposed to like him because he's uh, oh, okay he's, for reasons. Uh, Hank Reardon is supposed okay. to be liked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, and Dagny even remembers that she's supposed to be a strong female character. Yeah. Hank says, I couldn't protect you from that unspeakable little. And Dagny says, I didn't need protection. And then she ditches Hank to go off on her adventure alone, which is actually a really, really good move. But maybe, maybe we're gearing up for... Part two of the book, there's just going to be a feminist tale of how she badasses her way around this world. I think so, because, you know, you're supposed uh-huh. to start a character development by the character being uh, weak and then becoming strong. So I think maybe she's going to find her, her sisterhood feminism power. Of traveling pants. Mm-hmm. She's going to find some pants and she's going to be transformed. And she's going to put them on and then she's going to... Slaughter Hangry and, and then the real meat with of, a train. <laughs> then the real meat of the book. And then we find out how this book is actually a fucking badass classic. Yeah. <laughs> That's all a big trick. It's just gonna be uh, like this neo capitalism meets speed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just one small little thing here. It is it's basically just on me for thinking this, mm-hmm. but I'm going to say it. Go ahead. Because Dagny knocks on the door and asks to see Mr. William Hastings. And the woman who answers the door says that she's Mrs. William Hastings. And just for one glorious moment, I forgot that women used to lose their identity when they got married and just went by their husband's name. And instead, I just <laughs> thought that William Hastings was an openly trans person. Just for, oh. a, just for a glorious little second. <laughs> just for a glorious second. Be like, oh, nice. How progressive for once. <laughs> but, oh, no. <laughs> but no, no. No, no, we're back to, like, old-school 50s generals. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Joke's on us. Fucking hell. So, with that, let's uh, just quickly hit the Bechdel test. Yes. And uh, I'm just going to say it, both of them very close, but none of them passing. Close, but no cigar. Because Dagny talks to two female characters with names along her quest, but unfortunately, it's all about the looking for a man who made a motor. So, no. Hmm. Well, and similarly with the Fraggle Rock, basically every conversation that's not about musical instruments is about saving Gobo, so nope. <laughs> Sounds like another episode of Fraggle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, what we've all been waiting for, should we, uh, should we pass on, speaking of woke, directly mm. to, uh, to a little, little reading? Oh yes, featuring the most woke character in the entire piece. <laughs> Fuck yes. Like, this was a bit of a, of a snooze fest until this fucking thing here. Yeah, it's just, it's just sizzling with fire and spice. Just, just for like five, seven minutes of the audiobook, this was brilliant. <laughs> and you just think, oh, imagine if Ayn Rand just had written this kind of stuff all the way. Yes. Because <laughs> she can clearly do it. She's really good at writing sassy female characters. Yeah. She should have been like a Sex and the City writer or something. <laughs> just just give me an entire book with Lillian Ridden doing her fucking thing. Yeah, just calling women bitches. <laughs> exactly. Just going around parties, being a fucking champagne wife. Like, oh, <laughs> I want to fucking... I want to read that book. Yeah. 
She's brilliant. She's fucking brilliant. All right, people, uh, it's page 283, and I'm just going to pour myself a big old whiskey here, and we'll get into some uh, reading stuff here. All right, are you ready? Yes, my tea is sizzling, and I'm ready. He had put on his pajamas and stopped to light a cigarette. When the door of his bedroom opened, the only person who could properly enter his room without knocking had never volunteered to enter it, so he stared blankly for a moment before he was able to believe it was Lillian who had come in. She wore an empire garment of pale chatous, its pleated skirt streaming gracefully from its high waistline. One could not tell at first glance whether it was an evening gown or a negligee. It was a negligee. She paused in the doorway, the lines of her body flowing into an attractive silhouette against the light. I know I shouldn't introduce myself to a stranger, she said softly. But I'll have to. My name is Mrs. Ridden. He could not tell whether it was sarcasm or a plea. She entered and threw the door, closed with a casual, imperious gesture, the gesture of an owner. Uh, what is it, Lillian? He asked quietly. My dear, you mustn't confess so much so bluntly. She moved in a leisurely manner across the room, past his bed and sat down in an armchair. It's an ambition that I need to show a special cause for taking your time. Shouldn't I make an appointment through your secretary? He stood in the middle of the room, holding the cigarette at his lips, looking at her, volunteering no answer. She laughed. <laughs> My reason is so unusual that I know it will never occur to your loneliness, darling. Do you mind throwing a few crumbs of your expensive attention to a beggar? Do you mind if I stay here without any formal reason at all? No, he said quietly. Not if you wish to. I have nothing weighty to discuss. No million-dollar orders, no transcontinental deals, no rails, no bridges, not even the political situation. I just want to chatter like a woman about perfectly unimportant things. Uh, go ahead. Henry, there's no better way to stop me, is there? She had an air of helplessness, appearing sincerely. What can I say after that? Suppose I wanted to tell you about the new novel which Balf Eubank is writing? <laughs> He's dedicating it to me. Would that interest you? If it's the truth you want, not in the least. She laughed. <laughs> And if it's not the truth that I want? Then I wouldn't know what to say, he answered and felt a rush of blood to his brain, tight as a slap, realizing suddenly the double infamy of a lie uttered in protestation of honesty. He had said it sincerely, but it implied a boast to which he had no right to it any longer. Why would you want it if it's not the truth? he asked. What for? Now you see, that's the cruelty of conscientious people. You wouldn't understand it, would you? If I answered that real devotion consists of willing to lie, cheat and fake in order to make another person happy, 
to create for him the reality that he wants if he doesn't like the one that exists? No, he said slowly. I wouldn't understand it. It's really very simple. If you tell a beautiful woman that she's beautiful, what have you given her? It's no more than a fact and it has cost you nothing. But if you tell an ugly woman that she's beautiful, you offer her the great homage of corrupting the concept of beauty. To love a woman for her virtues is meaningless. She has earned it. It's a payment, not a gift. But to love her for her vices is a real gift. Unearned and undeserved. To love her for her vices is to defile all virtues for her sake. And that is a real tribute of love because you sacrifice your conscientious, your reason, your integrity and your invaluable self-esteem. He looked at her blankly. It sounded like some sort of monstrous corruption that precluded the possibility of wondering whether anyone would mean it. He wondered only what was the point of uttering it. What is love, darling, if it's not self-sacrifice, she went on lightly, in the tone of a drawing-room discussion. What is self-sacrifice, unless our sacrifice is one most precious and most important? But I don't expect you to understand it. Not a stainless steel Puritan like you. That's the immense selflessness of the Puritan. You'd let the whole world perish rather than soil that immaculate self of yours with a single spot of which you'd have to be ashamed. He said slowly, his voice oddly strained and solemn. I have never claimed to be immaculate. She laughed. <laughs> and what is it you're being right now? You're giving me an honest answer, aren't you? She shrugged her naked shoulders. Oh, darling, don't take me seriously. I am just talking. He grounded his cigarette into an ashtray. He did not answer. Darling, she said, I actually came here only because I kept thinking that I had a husband and I wanted to find out what he looked like. She studied him as he stood across the room, the tall, straight, taunt lines of his body emphasized by a single color of the dark blue pajamas. You're very attractive, she said. You look so much better these last few months. Younger, should I say, happier? You look less tense. Oh, I, I know you're rushed more than ever and you act like a commander in an air raid. But that's only the surface. You're less tense inside. He looked at her, astonished. It was true. He had not known it, had not admitted it to himself. He wondered at her power of observation. She had seen so little of him in these last few months. 
He had not entered her bedroom since his return from Colorado. He had thought that she would welcome their isolation from each other. Now he wondered what motive could have made her so sensitive to a change in him, unless it was a feeling much greater than he had ever suspected her of experiencing. I was not aware of it, he said. It is quite becoming, dear, and astonishing since you've been having such a terribly difficult time. He wondered whether this was intended as a question. She paused, as if waiting for an answer, but she did not press it, and she went on gaily. I know you're having all sorts of trouble at the mills, and then the political situation is getting to be ominous, isn't it? If they pass those laws you're thinking about, it will hit you pretty hard, won't it? Yes, yes it will. But that is a subject which is of no interest to you, Lillian, is it? Oh, but it is. She raised her head and looked straight at him. Her eyes had the blank, veiled look he had seen before. A look of deliberate mystery and of confidence in his inability to solve it. It is of great interest to me. Though not because of any possible financial losses, she added softly. He wondered for the first time whether her spite, her sarcasm, the cowardly manner of delivering insults under the protection of a smile were not the opposite of what he had always taken them to be. Not a method of torture, but a twisted form of despair. Not a desire to make him suffer, but a confession of her own pain. A defense for the pride of an unloved wife. A secret plea, so that the subtle, the hinted, the evasive in her manner, the thing begging to be understood, was not the open malice, but the hidden love. He thought of it aghast. It made his guilt greater than he had ever contemplated. If we're talking politics, Henry, I had an amusing thought. The side you represent. What is the slogan you use so much, this motto you're supposed to stand for? The sanctity of contract, isn't it? She saw his swift glance, the intentness of his eyes, the first response of something she had struck and she laughed aloud. Go on, he said. His voice was low. It had the sound of a threat. Darling, what for? Since you understood me quite well. What was it you intended to say? His voice was harshly precise and without any color of feeling. Do you really wish to bring me to the humiliation of complaining? It is so trite, it's such a common complaint. Although I did think I had a husband who prides himself on being different from lesser men. Do you want me to remind you that you once swore to make my happiness the aim of your life? And that you really can't say in all honesty whether I'm happy or unhappy because you haven't even inquired whether I exist. 
I felt them as a physical pain. All the things that came tearing at him impossibly together. Her words were a plea, he thought, and he felt the dark, hot flow of guilt. He felt pity, the cold ugliness of pity without affection. He felt a dim anger, like a voice he tried to choke, a voice crying in revulsion. Why should I deal with her rotten, twisted lying? Why should I accept torture for the sake of pity? Why is it I who should have to take the hopeless burden of trying to spare a feeling she won't admit, a feeling I can't know or understand or try to guess? If she loves me, why doesn't the damn coward say so and let us both face it out in the open? He heard another, louder voice saying evenly, Don't switch the blame to her. That is the oldest trick of all the cowards. You're guilty. No matter what she does, it's nothing compared to your guilt. She's right. It makes you sick, doesn't it? To know it's she who's right. Let it make you sick, you damn adulterer. It is she who's right. What would make you happy, Lillian? He asked. His voice was toneless. She smiled, leaning back in her chair, relaxing. She had been watching his face intently. Oh dear, she said in bored amusement. That is the shyest question, the loophole, the escape clause. She got up, letting her arms fall with a shrug, stretching her body in a limp, graceful gesture of helplessness. Would you make me happy, Henry? Is that... What you ought to tell me? That is what you should have discovered for me. I don't know. You were to create it and to offer it to me. That was your trust, your obligation, your responsibility. But you wouldn't be the first man to default on that promise. It's the easiest of all debts to repudiate. Oh, you'd never welsh on a payment for a load of iron ore delivered to you? only on a life. She was moving casually across the room, the green-yellow folds of her skirt coiling in long waves about her. I know that claims of this kind are impractical, she said. I have no mortgage on you, no collateral, no guns, no gains. I have no hold on you at all, Henry. Nothing but your honor. He stood looking at her as if it took all of his effort to keep his eyes directed at her face, to keep seeing her, to endure the sight. What do you want? he asked. Darling, there are so many things you could guess by yourself if you really wanted to know what I want. For instance, if you have been avoiding me so blatantly for months, wouldn't I want to know the reason? Oh, I've, I've been busy. She shrugged. A wife expects to be the first concern of her husband's existence. And I didn't know that you swore to forsake all others. It didn't include blast furnaces. She came closer and, 
With an amused smile that seemed to mock them both, she slipped her arms around him. It was the swift, instinctive, ferocious gesture of a young bridegroom at the unrequested contact of a whore. The gesture with which he tore her arms off his body and threw her aside. He stood paralyzed, shocked by the brutality of his own reaction. She was staring at him, her face naked in bewilderment, with no mystery, no pretense or protection. Whatever calculations she had made, this was a thing she had not expected. I'm sorry, Lillian, he said, his voice low, a voice of sincerity and of suffering. She did not answer. I'm sorry, it's, it's just that I'm, I'm very tired. He added, his voice lifeless. He was broken by the triple lie, one part of which was a disloyalty he could not bear to face. It was not the disloyalty to Lillian. She gave a brief chuckle. <laughs> If that's the effect your work has on you, I may come to approve of it. Don't forgive me, I was merely trying to do my duty. I thought you were... A sensualist who'd never rise above the instincts of an animal in the gutter. I'm not one of those bitches who belong in it. She was snapping her words dryly, absently, without thinking. Her mind was on a question mark, racing over every possible answer. It was her last sentence that had made him face her suddenly, face her simply, directly. Not as one on the defense any longer. Lillian, what purpose do you live for? He asked. What a crude question. Mm -hmm. No enlightened person would ever ask it. Well, what is it that enlightened people do with their lives? Perhaps they do not attempt to do anything That is their enlightenment. But what do they do with that time? They certainly do not spend it on manufacturing plumbing pipes. Tell me, why do you keep making these cracks? I know that you feel contempt for the plumbing pipes. You've made that clear long ago. Your contempt means nothing to me. Why keep repeating it? He wondered why this hit her. He didn't know in what manner, but he knew that it did. He wondered why he felt with absolute certainty that that had been the right thing to say. She asked, her voice dry. What is the purpose of this sudden questionnaire? He answered simply, I'd like to know whether there's anything that you really want. If there is, I'd like to give it to you if I can. You'd like to buy it? That's all you know, paying for things. You get off easily, don't you? It's not as simple as that. What I want is non-material. What is it? You. What do you mean, Lillian? You don't mean it in the gutter sense. No, not in the gutter sense. Well, how then? She was at the door. She turned, she raised her head to look at him and smiled coldly. 
You wouldn't understand it, she said and walked out. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Lillian Reardon. Oh, the baddest bitch is. in town. <laughs> the fucking queen of sass, man. Oh, yeah. She owns this book. <laughs> like, again, I just want an entire book with her. Only her. Yeah. Can we just cut everything else out? Can we do a fan edit? <laughs> just, I love him, like, being like, what do you want? Like, like what do, he asks, what do, uh, like, really enlightened people do with their time? And she's like, maybe they think about stuff and, like, have a nice time. Maybe that's what they do. I mean, he asks her, Lillian, what purpose do you live for? Here's a fun game, people. <laughs> Try going home to your significant other and asking them that. <laughs> hey, why do you exist? <laughs> what are you doing? Why? <laughs> Explain yourself. I'm sorry, mouth breeder. Why are you breathing my air here? Like, what's going on? Please stop this. <laughs> Could you please exist on another plane of uh, existence? <laughs> also, I love that she's like, not having it like she's going in there and be like no i just want to see my husband <laughs> she is an ice cold oh also because at this point she clearly knows about the affair right <laughs> yeah 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 she's <laughs> she uh, knows everything yes and it's just like she doesn't say it that's the brilliant part oh, of it she's so cold it's fucking like ice cold it's not mentioned i hope she goes through this and that but like just not mentioning it just letting it hang there and like egging him on to say it <laughs> Oh, that's so great. And she even taps herself by mentioning the good old Balfour Bank. Exactly. Oh. As if she couldn't get better. <laughs> and you know what the best character this time around is? Like, <laughs> yep. uh, spoiler alert, it is <laughs> going to be Lillian. Okay, on that high note, should we get a warty? Yes, yes, I think we should. All right, some uh, Fraglian sentences. Uh-huh. And we wanted to do this quickly, right? Yeah, go fire. So should we do a speed round here? Yes. Um, I'm so hungry for any side of anyone who's able to do whatever it is he's doing. Mm-hmm. Eh, sounds Franklin to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought this sounded like a Franklin song lyric, what Dagny is thinking here. Yes. Pipe down, keep down, slow down, don't do your best, it's not warranted. <laughs> see some Franklin singing that. It really doesn't. And here is a, a wishful one. I won't take abuse. I simply won't take any abuse for something I couldn't help. It's Paul Larkin, and if Sprocket could talk, it's what he would be saying in every episode. Mm-hmm. I won't take abuse. I simply won't take abuse. And of course, a guy called Eugene Lawson that Dagny has a talk with. I can proudly say that in all of my life, I have never made a profit. That is very much a brilliant sentence. I have one final one. It's maybe not that fraglian, but it definitely takes a turn here. Mm-hmm. I had no time for details. My objective was social progress, universal prosperity, human brotherhood, and love. Love, Miss Taggart. That is the key to everything. And here's the ticket. If men learn to love one another, it would solve all their problems. Mm. And I don't know if you caught that, if you are. Uh, what? Well, he becomes Tommy Wiseau at the end. Oh. Because this is Tommy Wiseau's credo, his uh, philosophy of life. 
And I can't do the impression, so just imagine it. Mm-hmm. Instead, I will do a Donald Trump. That is bad. That seems more fitting. <laughs> if a lot of people love each other, the world <laughs> would be a better place to live. If a lot of people love each other, the world would be a better place to live. <laughs> that is basically the same sentence. The greatest so. thing is you're doing all of this in your fucking MAGA head. <laughs> That's only appropriate, right? <laughs> I think the last one, like the the love, it's it's a very it's a very Franklin. Well, I think I, I actually think the one with uh, I can proudly say all my life I've never made a profit. That's a good one too, isn't it? it? Yes. Also because like did did we have like her uh, like it it gets followed up by her voice was quiet, steady, and solemn. Mister Lawson, I think I should let you know that of all the statements a man can make, that is the one I consider most despicable. <laughs> I've forgotten that. I've been right there in the follow-up. It such a guess. The follow-up like, just makes that sentence. Oh, that's, that's, just, she, that's just not hiding it. I should have taken that as a summary for the entire book, because that's basically yes. all of it. That's Dagny's character boiled down to one disgusting <laughs> yeah. drop of... Uh, oh, fucking hell. Also, quite a like mic drop for her character, to be honest. Oh, oh yeah, she should have just said that and left. <laughs> she kind of does, and and we never heard from her since. Oh, at least we didn't hear from him again. He may have just been killed by her. <laughs> oh, there. oh yes, she just offs him. <laughs> she's kill billing around. <laughs> just, how fucking! But she she's already threatened to do that. Yeah, like, yeah several she, times. She, she has a murderous instinct. <laughs> So yes. wouldn't be out of character. <laughs> and then someone says, I have never wanted to make a dime in my life. And she's, just, <laughs> she's losing it. That's, that's a one trigger sentence. All right. So I guess that's a winner. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Most Randian sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, some Mookie, because she's uh, so great. Mm-hmm. She says, pesky deuces. Which well, sounds like a Randian sentence. Yeah. And also this down endless corridors where deuces never dig. Mm. That is very Randian. Yeah. Has that uh, swung, that, uh, that uh, power to the language. Yes. Then, of course, she goes to the directly opposite direction and says what a, what a Randian villain would say. Mm-hmm. Teamwork will work together. <laughs> How Fucking dare they, socialists. Dirty, pesky socialists. Those pesky dudes are socialists with their unions and their breaks. Their basic human rights. Who has to eat? I only eat money. <laughs> um, because there is somebody eating money this time around, and it's actually a quite Randian uh, situation. Mm-hmm. We forgot to talk about what Uncle Traveling Matt is up to this time around. That's right. He's gone undercover and gotten himself some very smart clothes. He's trying to make friends out in the human world. Mm-hmm. And he has found parking meters to be particularly interesting creatures. Because they just stand around on the sidewalk and can't go anywhere. And people feed them money. Yeah. But first... Listen to how he describes them, because this sounds like a Randian character description. Mm-hmm. Sidewalk creatures have very large heads and long skinny bodies that appear to be rooted to the ground. So those long skinny bodies, that's really Randian. Ah, oh, the gaunt, 
skinny, yeah. angular body. Because they were really angular and gaunt, I thought. Ah. It just lacked the words. I think that is very clever. And Kukovarandian, because it, it works yeah. on several levels. And of course, because he thinks people are feeding them when they put coins in them. So, like all true Randian characters, the sidewalk creatures eat money. You cannot be a true Randian character if you cannot live out of like pure eating money for three months at a time. Money and reardon metal, that's the diet. A burger in reardon metal. And apropos of Reardon and his uh, ingenuity, this is that description of from a duck about his uh, machine, which sounds like what Reardon would make of a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. It is the musical instrument of the decade. Of course, I still got a couple of little problems to work out of it. For one thing, it needs to be mechanized. And of course, it still sounds terrible. But other than that... That is definitely something Ridden could say. It just needs more metal, more written metal, yeah. and then I think it, it will be done. More mechanized, then it's... <laughs> more steam. Yes. So that's the Randys. Mm-hmm. I, think, uh, I think feeding the, the parking meters, the gaunt, angular, tall-necked mm-hmm. animals. Yes. All right, moving on to best sentences overall. Uh-huh. This is a wildly out-of-character statement from Dagny, and frankly unbelievable coming from her. I'm ready. I have no desire to talk to you about my railroad. (laughs) (laughs) What? He says that. (laughs) Can we have that as the episode? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yep. Wow. Well, that is just, that's not reading the room. <laughs> you have no desire. I've just listened to an audiobook for over 16 hours so far, being the only fucking thing you have been talking about. It's completely out of left field for Dagny. But I guess that's character growth. <laughs> I guess so. Or maybe she doesn't realize she's just talking a lot about railroad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you don't see until people tell you that you have a fixation <laughs> maybe maybe she, she, what i don't talk about railroads <laughs> no no i just i'm a bit just a complex human being I, yeah. I have a casual interest in rails but i'm much more than that i, I mean who doesn't like to ride the train exactly. and get all moist yeah that's normal like who who doesn't eat red metal like, yeah. it's, it's just a, i just eat a few coins and like a railroad. All her friends need to do an intervention. Like, <laughs> sit her down and be like, you talk too much about trains. Like, it's it's becoming weird. And the joke is that she, she doesn't have any friends. <laughs> yeah, so it's just her sitting alone in a room talking about trains. Eddie Willows. <laughs> Eddie Willows. Her puppy dog. <laughs> That's the only one. It's her screaming at Eddie Willows. Just, I'm, talk- I'm not talking a lot about trains, aren't I? And just him being like shaking his head. No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, next. Mm-hmm. How were we to succeed in life if nobody would give us a factory? <laughs> How were we? Like, that's also the most Trumpian sentence. <laughs> yeah. But of course, we are supposed to dislike him. So, of course, he says something extremely reasonable right afterwards. Mm-hmm. We couldn't compete against the little snarts who would inherit whole chains of factories, could we? <laughs> And that's exactly the weakness in the free market if people just inherit wealth. So he goes completely 180 from the worst to the best. 
yeah, it just like makes a sincere criticism of the broken market. <laughs> but what a terrible grind. Dimly, she felt the chill of her thought telling her that self-interest was not Jim's motive. Mm-hmm. And just two from uh, Hank's part of the just read section, just because they deserve to be uh, yes. uh, marked out. He had put on his pajamas and stopped to light a cigarette, which is just great. And <laughs> As you do, yeah. I'm, I'm going off to bed. I'm just uh, <laughs> casually smoking a cigarette. Just a night-night cigarette. Yes. And no, nothing better than falling asleep with a few cigarettes in my mouth. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. I have never claimed to be immaculate. <laughs> I often say that, and I never mean it. Just the thing about if characters talk talk like this, like in everyday life. I mean, there's so much that's just nobody would say that. Yes. And that's it for the Atlas? No, because we have a little one from guest writer Charles Bukowski. Oh. People are bastards and hard, and it's no use pretending otherwise. That's a grumpy alcoholic writer yep. there. Yep. Let's go down to the post office and eat some ham on rye factotum. <laughs> ham on rye is great, man. Yeah, it's a good one. They're all great. <laughs> I feel like you have a like favorite author. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's good. Please tell me why we're not reading Bukowski right now. We're saving it for that for afterwards. <laughs> when we're doing uh, Tail Toppies and Bukowski. Tail Toppies and Bukowski. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please tell me why we're we not doing this right now. <laughs> why are we doing this shit? <laughs> Eat your vegetables, then you can have dessert. <laughs> Thank you. How could you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? <laughs> this is just a really fucking big... Bad steak. Yes. Very, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, I have the perfect quote for this. Yes? Because uh, there's a whole run about how disgusting a stew is. Mm-hmm. So uh, a meat with the greasy odor of cheap meat. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's... The fumes of the acrid stew. Exactly. Mm. The, the, the best description of this book. Ayn Rand ruining appetites everywhere since 1902. Yeah, I didn't have to eat today either, so it's fine. I had my whiskey. So, of course, all of Lillian's dialogue is a nominee, but she had the whole focus, so we'll let her her slide this time around. So Mm -hmm. I have one final, which is just grotesque. Mm -hmm. Tacker Transcontinental was not a living plant, fed by blood it had worked to produce, but a cannibal of the moment, devouring the unborn children of greatness. What the fuck does that mean? <sighs> what the fuck? You know like, how, write that on a t-shirt. You know how living plants are fed by blood it had worked to produce? But it... And, it's because it's, and how cannibals of the moment are devouring unborn children of greatness. We all know that, right? <laughs> what? It's one of those sentences when you listen to it, it's like, eh, it's, it's just more like Ayn Rand, like rambling. This is just gibberish. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at this point, I almost like want, when we finish this, I almost just want to write my own book because whatever I'll be writing would be better than this shit. And that's not like that. 
yeah, I'm not a good writer. So well, I think we should do some fan fiction soon of ourselves. Ah, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Try to match the uh, immaculateness of Ayn Rand. Uh, I call dibs on Lillian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better write the Lillian Reardon Chronicles. <laughs> Fuck yes. Give me, give me a day and like a a, a tub full of cheap champagne, and I'll just, I'll just go working. Cosmopolitans, exactly. Cosmopolitans and strawberries and sass. <laughs> Look forward to hearing it. it. Well, in one way, I think the last one is great, mm-hmm. but then again, there is I have no desire to talk to you about my railroad. <laughs> that clear winner. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yep. Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock. And in, in kind of a response to the last contender, mm-hmm. when Gobo and Wembley girls get the postcard, they see Duck taunting poor Sprocket with the thingy and dancing around, and Gobo says, you know, they're always scary, but sometimes they are really grotesque. I, I, I That was the exact sentence I wanted to <laughs> highlight. <laughs> I saw that five minutes in, like, that's beautiful. <laughs> and also... Like, so true. <laughs> yes, so true. And Red regarding Gobo being trapped. Well, there's only one thing we can do about it. Sing about it. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the rational response, right? <laughs> Just sing about it. And Wembley one happy, sad song later. Singing that sad song made us much too happy. <laughs> It's just like singing sad things. It's just, it's making me too happy. Yes. And here's two from Red with a mm-hmm. mostly nominated because they have a very good topic. Uh-huh. First one to the trash heap. And you can almost see the like uh, Superman logo. And of course, the trash heap knows the very best magic. I agree. She does. She's good shit. Although I think in this episode, she was like kind of underappreciated. Yeah, I mean, she didn't even get to give her own advice because she just gave on the advice that she'd gotten from one of those uh, creatures yeah. who apparently have names. Yeah, yeah, we found out. Again, which is why I le- that led me to believe that it could be a pilot because we get to have their names introduced. They have Philo, I think one of them was. Oh, I saw a note here that I forgot. Uh-huh. Duck gets a letter from Kermit. Yes, is that, is that like a like a weird throwback to the like the Muppet? He just casually knows a Muppet. <laughs> so maybe maybe Sprite is a Muppet in universe too. Oh, maybe he's not even a real dog. <laughs> that makes him real fucking insane if he's the puppeteer of the dog because oh, he's shit. so sad and lonely. And he just has a dog puppet. That would make so much sense. This show is so dark. It's fucking dark. Well, from this moment on, the piano is obsolete. <laughs> Cue the music. Oh. Yeah, and that's the uh, contenders there. Wow! From this moment on, the piano is obsolete. Yes, I think we uh, we struck it with a with a piano. Yes, oh, I mean I have so many points here. Just I just 
discovered a whole section that I'd forgotten. <laughs> Just a treasure trove of notes, what, over an hour into this podcast? Yeah, I mean... Oh. Okay, I'm going to hit you with a few, few. Yes. I will not molest you with tricks or please, Dagny says... That's just a disgusting section. She will not molest anyone. Or she will. <laughs> Degrees do not matter, he thought. One does not bark in about inches of evil. Which is basically what Obi-Wan says in the Star Wars prequel. Only a Sith, Only a deals, Sith in absolute. deals in absolute. One does not bark in about inches of evil. Did George Lucas actually read this book? I think he might have had. Hmm. That explains so much. Um, wait a minute wait a minute no 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 because if he read this book <laughs> that explains all the talk about intergalactic trade routes that's what happened between uh, Return of the Jedi and the Phantom Menace he, he read Atlas Rock. he just read this and thought oh fuck I, I know what to do now wouldn't that make sense like it's, it's all about bureaucracy <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> And actually, it's about these few Jedi's that just need to act on their own while the bureaucracy is keeping them down. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he just read that just right. Yeah. That explains why that movie's terrible. Mm -hmm. Anakin shrugged. <laughs> Maybe, like, with the amount of Star Wars Disney is chugging out, we could have done this through just watching a Star Wars movie and then read a chapter. Yeah, we would probably be able to keep up. <laughs> about about so at this point. We gotta do a crossover with that at some point. I'm not watching like, all that fucking stuff. <laughs> oh yes, you are. I'm making you. The first three movies are great. The rest is kind of shit. No, no. Rogue One makes total sense. <laughs> Plot tracks. It didn't fucking hell. I am done. I want to say this. Yes. Quote. When my husband left 20th Century Motors, we came here and he took a job as head of engineering department of Acme Motors. That is the supply to Wiley Coyote. Oh. It's canon now. <laughs> Atlas Shrugged is set in the Roadrunner universe. Meep, meep. <laughs> Wait a minute. So Dagny is the Roadrunner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she, she does like to go through tunnels. Mm-hmm. And she does like trains. So Bellevue Bang is just out there painting tunnels onto rock faces. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Lillian Reardon is the roadrunner. Yeah, 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 I think so. <laughs> she's, she's the only one with the coolness and the <laughs> upper hand. Jesus. Okay, did, 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 we get, did we get a best fraggle sentence? The best fragile sentence. I think it's a grotesque... Um, oh, yes, yes, definitely. And best character? Lillian Reardon. Lillian, like, no discussion. Although, honorable mention to Dagny for being an independent woman on a quest on her own time for just once. Yeah, for like four minutes. Yes, and uh, in Fraggle, uh, I, I wasn't sure there, because we have... An entire category for Trash Sheep now, so... It's, the Trash Sheep can't really be the best character. No. I think this time around, let, let, let it go to Doc for just yeah, yeah. inventing that fucking thing. For once, he did some good in the world. <laughs> he introduced the end of the piano. Yeah. The poo-poo-carina. <laughs> and of course, trashiness, we have the Trash Sheep herself. Mm -hmm. But, and I've been saving this, I know we've... 
running long, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's part of the course by now. I would like to really introduce you to Mayor Bascom. A what? Of Rome, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. First, I mean, the description of him sounds like a gawk, but he is actually kind of trash heapy because listen to this description. He leaned back in his chair. His chest and stomach formed a pear-shaped outline under his soiled shirt. That, that's a gawk. Yeah, that is a gawk. But he describes himself as being mayor of a bunch of trash. Oh. He says that. And then he has good advice like, um, there's plenty of laws that's sort of made of rubber. And the mayor's in a position to stretch them a bit for a friend. <laughs> And more trash advice? Uh-huh. What I can't stand is people who talk about principles. No principle ever filled anybody's milk bottle. Milk bottle? Oh, what? The only thing that counts in life is solid material assets. He talks about milk. What? What? That's too perfect to be true, man. And here's another one. Uh-huh. Where are the pieces of a puffball when it bursts? Try and trace them all over the United States. Try it. And a puffball is like a puffy fungus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good advice. Try, try it. it. Try it. <laughs> it is some pretty legitimate trashy advice. Yes. And the final one, because he was a gift that kept on giving. Mm-hmm. Lady, I've seen a lot in my lifetime, he said good-naturedly. Married people don't look as if they have a bedroom on their minds when they look at each other. In this world, either you're virtuous or you enjoy yourself. Not both, lady. Not both. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's something the trash heap would say. That is a trashy fucking advice. And that's the awards. Yes, um so we are about to watch the movie next time so it's going to be a bit of a different episode yes and we're planning to have a guest as well yeah so stay tuned yeah we are in the unedited form nearing one and a half hours now (laughs) not our longest by a long shot actually in unedited form we have almost been at two hours so yes but this is a short, quick, and a quick and focused. We, we say this every single time. It's going to be short, quick, and yes. focused. We just get longer and longer. This is just this is going exactly where we wanted it. I'm just, I'm just slowly getting worn down by this. Yes. Oh, not slowly. Like I'm directly in the trash at this point. In the trash heap. Oh, I just. Yes. I think I we can't anymore. We may take a little break between reading this part and the next one, but uh, yes. I think we'll try to keep a continuity. Maybe take a take two weeks off or something. It could be nice. Also, because we're slowly moving into summer and maybe some summer vacations are needed at some point. Um, because I am going across countries and I am not oh. doing this across countries. <laughs> Why not? I am. I am not bringing this this trashy book on my vacation. You could make some good friends out there. With lots of money. <laughs> I think uh, I'm actually going to the state, the, the possible future state of Brexit. So that might actually be... <laughs> Beware, yeah. you don't get trapped over there. Yeah. Maybe I could, uh, I could meet some wonderful Brexiteers and they would love this book. <laughs> I'm sure Nigel Farage is a fan. Oh, he would find it orgasmic. <laughs> and on that uh, yes. note, I just, uh, I just threw a a bit up in my mouth so I think we're done
Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I guess that's all for this shrugginess this time. And see you for movie time. For the final episode of season one of Fraggle Shrugged. Stay tuned. From this moment forth, the piano is obsolete. <laughs> This podcast is produced by Monegale Media, a small and independent Danish media collective. If you want to learn more about this podcast and our other projects, visit our website at maanegal.dk. That is Monegale with two A's up front. .dk. At the moment, most of our stuff is in Danish, but we are looking to expand our selection in English in the future. So, you know, stay tuned. To the madness. <laughs>